Lord, I pray you'd help me to have my mind clear and help everybody who's in the service, uh, help no one to be a distraction. Help, Lord, everybody to just uh, sit up straight, stay seated, uh, you know, don't, don't play with things and don't make noise. And Lord, help everybody to just be able to, to uh, pay attention and to learn what you have for us. Lord, I ask that you'd help me to step out of the way and that your spirit would do the work that needs to be done this morning. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Genesis chapter number 21. And in Genesis 21, we see the birth of Isaac, who was the son uh, that who, he was the son that God had promised to Abraham, uh, if you remember, in his old age. And Abraham exercised faith in the fact that he believed God um, and his word that when God told him he would uh, give him a son. Look at verse 1 again, Genesis 21.1. And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So you see that the Bible says he visited Sarah as he had said. Like we preached last Sunday night when we were in Genesis chapter number 20. Uh, you know, the Lord is the one who opens and closes the womb. And the Bible says that the Lord visited Sarah. And he said, as he said, because the Lord had promised that he was going to give Sarah a son. And the Bible says that the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And God always keeps his word. Look at verse 12. For Sarah conceived. And bear Abraham a son in his old age. Now the miracle of Abraham and Sarah having a son is that they were very old in age. And they couldn't have children. They never had a child. And they especially couldn't have a child as old as they were. And we'll see here in the text a little bit of how old they were. But the Bible says that Sarah conceived and bear Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him. Whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And look at verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old. That's how old he was. When his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Now it's interesting if you remember, when God told Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them Isaac. If you remember, Abraham laughed, and then also Sarah laughed. At the fact that God said he was going to give him. But now, she says, you know, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear me will laugh with me. Uh, verse 7, and she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. So we see here that Isaac is finally born, this son of the promise, this son, you know, that Abraham exercised faith in, and that he had faith in believing that Isaac would be born. But look at verse number 8. And the child grew, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she, referring to Hagar, had born unto Abraham, mocking. Now if you remember, I don't have time to go through it and preach it again, but if you remember, God had promised Sarah and Abraham a son. But Sarah and Abraham had elapsed in faith. And they just realized, they thought, you know, Sarah said, the Lord has restrained me from having children, which is a true statement, because, like we talked about last week, the Lord restrains you from having children, and the Lord gives you children. But she said, the Lord has restrained me, and Sarah went to Abraham and said, why don't you take my handmaid, why don't you take my servant woman here, uh, Hagar, and have a child with Hagar, and I'm going to take that child as my child. That's what her plan was, but it didn't work out that way, because when the child was born, Hagar, the Bible says that Hagar is despised Sarah in her eyes, and Sarah, you know, obviously began to be jealous, they started butting heads, so they had this uh, illegitimate child named Ishmael, who was born to Abraham and Hagar, who was the servant of Sarah, the, the, the bondwoman there. And the Bible says in verse 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, which was born unto Abraham, mocking. So she saw 
because you got to keep in mind, uh, you know, not enough time to show it to you, but at this time, Ishmael is about 13, 14 years old, and he's mocking, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, maybe picking on uh, on somebody, I don't know if it was Isaac, Isaac was eight years, you know, was probably just a uh, couple years old, he was weaned, you know, but he was mocking, and it angered Sarah, look at verse 10, Wherefore she, referring to Sarah, said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. And all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Right, so we understand. Abraham has two sons. One born of a slave woman, a servant, a bond woman, and one Ishmael, and one born of Isaac, his wife, you know, of Sarah, his wife. All right, Ishmael was Abraham's illegitimate son, who was born of Hagar, the Egyptian bond woman. Isaac was born of um, Sarah. All right, Isaac. If you saw there in the last part of verse twelve, this is all introduction. I just want you to understand this. Sarah told Abraham to cast out the bond woman and her son. Because she just didn't want them around anymore. And that was grievous to Abraham because he loved Ishmael. That was his son. And God went to Abraham and said, you know what? Just do what, 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 uh, what Sarah said. And he said in the last part of verse 12, he said, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Because if you remember, God promised Isaac to Abraham, not Ishmael. And God made a covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. And God said, because if you remember the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter number 12, where he said, you know, in thee shall all the nations of the world be blessed. He said, look, I'm going to bless the entire world. The Messiah is going to come through Isaac and through his, uh, his descendants and through that nation. And God made a covenant with Isaac. That's what he said, for in Isaac shall I see be called. Isaac eventually had a son named Jacob, who was renamed Israel by Jesus Christ, by God. And Jacob had 12 sons, who eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the whole nation of Israel came from the 12 sons of, uh, of Jacob, which, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham. So that's where the nation of Israel came. I'm giving you information because I want you to understand what, you know, what the, the context of the sermon. Ishmael, however, also became a great nation. Because God promised Abraham, that anybody out of his loins is going to become a great nation. So when Ishmael showed up, even though God hadn't ordained that, but because of Abraham's own sin and Ishmael was born, God had to hold true to his word and he said, well, I'm going to make Ishmael a great nation too. Look at verse 13. And also of the son of the bond woman, that's Ishmael, will I make a nation. Because he is thy seed. So he said, look, he's your seed, so I'm going to make him a nation. Now, you may be familiar with this, you may not. But Ishmael, if you study his descendants through the Bible, and even after the Bible time frame, into modern times, the descendants of Ishmael are who, the people who we know of today as the Arabs, who are Muslims. All right. So the Muslims and the Arabs are direct descendants of Ishmael, who's a son of Abraham. And then we've got the Israelites, or the Jews, who are direct descendants of uh, Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. They all came out of uh, the loins of Abraham, and God said that would be so. Look at verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. Now you read this and you think that this child is just this baby, you know, but he's, he's really 13, 
14 years old, you know, but the waters spent, the Bible says she cast him under the shrubs, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were, a bow shot, and she said, let me not see the death of the child, and she sat over against him, and lifted up her voice, and wept, look at verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad, isn't that a powerful statement? The Bible says that God heard the voice of the lad. You know, sometimes we, we diminish the importance of children. You know, and I'm not preaching a sermon on this this morning, but, but we, you know, I, I know of churches where they, they don't want kids in the service. You know, they, they want to put them off somewhere in some children's ministry where they're not going to, you know, uh, you know, be bothersome or be loud or be a distraction, you know. And we, we'll just put them off over there. We'll let them play games for an hour. We'll teach them a three-minute lesson, and then that way they won't distract any of us. But look, God places an importance on children because here we got a 13-year-old boy who all through the book of Genesis 21 is called a child and a lad. And the Bible says that the, the woman, Hagar, was weeping to God. But God says, it doesn't say he heard the, the cry of the woman. He said he heard the voice of the lad, you know. So God puts an emphasis on kids. You know, God God wants to, you know, uh, wants us to have a ministry with kids. And, and you know, that's why at Mary Baptist Church, we do not have and we never will have a children's ministry. If kids want to come to this church, we're just going to put them in church with the adults. Because you know what? They're as important, if not more important, than the adults. Because adults have already half spent their life, have already ruined their life with sin and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But the kids, hey, we've got a fresh slate with them. We can, you know, raise them up. And people think, oh... You know, kids, they're not going to want to come to a church like that. Well, you know what? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But we've got a bunch of kids here who seem to enjoy it. You know, they love coming to church. As far as I can tell, they always act like they want to come to church. And they're getting baptized after the service. So, you know, God puts an emphasis on children. And we ought to put an emphasis on children. And also that God heard the voice of the lad. Anyway, I had nothing to do with the sermon. Let's keep reading. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Look at verse 18. Arise. Lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. So you see there again, where God is telling her, I'm going to make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went, and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Now, like I said, we see these two lineages. You know, and we've really got to understand. I want to preach on the subject of this: the bond woman versus the free woman, the descendants of the bond woman versus the descendants of the free woman. Now, go with me real quickly to John chapter number eight. John chapter number eight in the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, we're going to go to John chapter number eight. And these kids have been learning. All the books of the New Testament. So if you don't know how to get to John, just look over at one of their Bibles. They'll surely be there. John, chapter number 8. And I first want to show you how, how the Jews see their position as being descendants of Isaac versus being descendants of Ishmael. And in John, chapter number 8, and verse 33, we find Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Look at verse 33. The Bible says they answered him. So these are the Pharisees, and they're answering Jesus. They say, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Because if you remember in the previous verse, Jesus just made the famous statement, you know, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they're saying, they're saying to Jesus, We don't need to be made free, Jesus. We don't need your liberty. We don't need your salvation. Because we be Abraham's seed. 
And we're never in bondage to any man. You know, and you see there the the pride of the Jews saying those words. They're saying, we're Abraham's seed. We're never in bondage. They seem to have conveniently, you know, forgotten the 430 years they were in bondage in Egypt. You know? And the you know, time after time after time that they've been put in bondage in the book of Judges and all through the Bible that they've been in bondage. But they have this pride about themselves, saying, because they're Abraham's seed. Skip down to verse 39. Look at verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, and this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. You know, and he's referring to the devil, and he's going to make that clear you know, later on in the passage. But look at how they answer. They said, Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Now notice they said, we be not born of fornication. What they're saying is, look, we're not these Arabs. You know, because they're looking down at Ishmael. Because Ishmael was born out of this fornicating, adulterous, you know, relationship that Abraham had with, with, um, with Hagar. And they're saying, we're not born of fornication. We're not born of adultery. We're from, you know, we, our father is Abraham. We came from Isaac. We're legitimate. We're the Jews. You know, we are it. Okay? You're there in John chapter number 8. Look at, go with me to John chapter number 4. Let me show you another verse. In John chapter number 4, look at verse 7. In John chapter number 4, look at verse 7. In John 4, 7, we find Jesus uh, talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. And I just want you to see how this woman reacts. It will teach us something about how the Jews acted in that time. Look at Jew, uh, John chapter number 4 and verse 7. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria. Now, I don't have time to go into the history, but a Samaritan is a half-Jew, half-Gentile, okay? Half-Jew, half-Assyrian. They're not full-blooded Jews, okay? And that's who the Samaritans were. And the Bible says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. And if you remember the story, Jesus wants to give her the gospel and get her saved, so he's starting a conversation. Verse 8, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So he's waiting, they're going to get food, and this woman comes to the well, she's a Samaritan, he says, Could you give me some water? Look at verse 9. Look at how the Samaritan react. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Do you see how the Jews act? You know, she's just surprised. She's like, How is it that a Jew? She's like, Jesus, what are you even doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. The Jews, they don't have any dealings with them. The Jews would literally walk around the city of Samaria, even though it added time to whatever trip they were going on, they would walk around it because they thought they were so much better than the Samaritans, they didn't even want to walk through the town of Samaria. And she's just amazed. She's just like, why are you even talking to me? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And see, all through the Bible you find this, uh, you know, the, the same thing as you read about the Jews in the Bible. Because they were the seed of Abraham, and because God made a covenant with Abraham, and because God made, you know, made a covenant with Isaac, and they're the direct descendants, they felt like they had some sort of entitlement, they felt like they were some sort of a holy people, like there was something special about them, and they just, you know, they looked down on the Gentiles, they called them dogs, and they said, you know, the Gentiles, and they looked down on the Samaritans because they were half Gentile and half Jews, and, and they looked down on the Arabs because they were of, the, of Ishmael, and they weren't of Isaac, and they just had this attitude where where they felt like they were better because they were not born of the woman of bondage. They were not born of fornication, but they were born of the free woman of Sarah. And that's how they felt about it. 
the Jews, they saw the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs, as illegitimate. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 21, look at verse 10. Genesis chapter number 21. Should be easy to find Genesis, first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter number 21, look at verse 10. We're going to get into the... Uh, this is really a lot of introduction and uh, just setting a foundation for the subject I want to teach you. But look at Genesis 21.10. The Bible says, Wherefore she, Sarah, said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with I. You see how Sarah, from the beginning, had a bad attitude? She said, I don't want this son of the bondwoman to be heir with my son Isaac. And that same attitude went down through all the Jews, down into even the time of Jesus, where they just had this attitude, and they said, we're born of Abraham, we have Abraham as our father, we were never in bondage. They had this pride about them, because of their lineage. They see the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, as born of fornication or adultery. They see the Ishmaelites as born of a bondwoman, Hagar. They see themselves as being born of the free woman, Sarah. You know, and really, if you think about it, this is where all the unrest in the Middle East stems from today. 2011. We're dealing, you know, our world is dealing with the issues of Abraham's sin when he had an affair with Hagar, when he committed adultery with Hagar. Because look, you know, today people are fighting in Israel over that land, that land of Canaan. And you've got the Arabs and the Muslims who feel like that nation in that land of Canaan belongs to them because, well, first of all, they were there first, you know. Secondly, they are of the seed of Abraham. And, you know, by the way they, they see it, Israel was the firstborn son of Abraham. So the inheritance should go to Abraham. To, to, to go to them. And you know what? They've got a point. And then we've got the Jews on the other side. Who say, well no. God made a covenant with Isaac. And we're the descendants of Isaac. So the land belongs, belongs to us. And of course they're right. You know, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. They, they have a good point. But that's where the fighting in Israel comes from. That, you know, every president has a, a road back for peace in the Middle East and all these things. And that stems from Genesis chapter number 21, where Ishmael and Isaac, from the moment that Isaac was born, they began to butt heads. And not necessarily them as individuals, but their descendants. But that's how the Jews see it. They see themselves as being the, the, the descendants of Isaac, they're the descendants of Ishmael, therefore we're better than them because God made the covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. That's how the Jews see it. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the Jews are wrong. And I want to prove it to you. Go over to Galatians chapter number 4. And let's see how God sees them. Because the most important thing is not how somebody else sees themselves, but it's how God sees themselves. How God sees you. Galatians chapter number 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans... First and Second Corinthians, then we got the book of Galatians. Galatians, chapter number four, and let's see how God sees it. Who really are the descendants of Abraham and Isaac? Galatians chapter number four. Are you there? Look at verse twenty-two. Galatians chapter number four and verse twenty-two. The Bible says, "For it is written that Abraham had two sons." We just read about that. The one by the bondmaid, that's Ishmael, and the other by a free woman. Okay, so we've got Ishmael, born of, from Hagar. He's the one of the bondmaid. And Isaac, born from Sarah, the, you know, where it says the other by a free woman. Look at verse 23. But he, who was of the bondwoman, was born after the flesh. For he 
of the free woman was by promise. So you see how God is separating, distincting them. Ishmael represents being born of the flesh. You say, why is that? Well, number one, he was physically the firstborn son of Abraham. Number two, he was born of the flesh because he was born from sin. He was born because of adultery. He was born because of a lapse in faith. Um, so they gave in to their flesh. Instead of you know, relying on the spiritual things, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar gave in to their flesh. So therefore, Ishmael represents those who are born after the flesh. Okay, Isaac represents those who are born by the promise. Because if you remember, God made Isaac or made Abraham the promise that he was going to give him the, his son Isaac. And that represents faith, because Abraham exercised faith in believing that God was going to fulfill his promise, fulfill his word, and give him a son. Do you understand? I, I hope I'm not miss, you know, losing you. I want, I want you to really understand this. The, the sermon this morning is a little bit more teachy, but I want you to understand this. Look at verse 24. It says, which things are in allegory. You say, what does that word allegory mean? Allegory is a representation of an abstract or spiritual meaning through a concrete or material form, a, figura a figurative treatment of one subject under the guise of another, uh, symbolical or narrative. Okay, so an allegory is where we use one thing that is a physical thing to explain something spiritual, okay? Like a parable, okay? Well, Jesus did that all the time. He, he used something physical, something earthly, in order to allow us to understand something spiritual. And the Bible says that Abraham's two sons, the one that was born of the bond woman and the one that was born of the free woman, it says uh, these things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, that generous to bondage, which is Agar. So he says, you know, this is an allegory, this is a picture, and he said, for these, the, they're a picture of two covenants. Now you say, what two covenants are they talking about? Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 22. Keep your finger in Galatians, because we're coming right back to Galatians. But go with me to Genesis chapter number 22. Look at verse 17. Genesis chapter number 22, and verse 17. The faster you listen, the faster we get through the sermon. Genesis chapter number 22, look at verse 17. Are you there? Genesis 22, 17. The Bible says... That in blessings I will bless thee. This is God giving a promise to Abraham. He said that in blessings I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. And look what he says. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. So you see there. We find the two covenants. We have those... He's got two, two lines of descendants. Those are going to be as the stars of heaven, and those are going to be as the sand of the sea. We've got the heavenly... The ones in heaven represent spiritual descendants. The sand of the sea represents physical descendants. Okay? So go back with me to Galatians. He said, this is an allegory, and these are two covenants. Those two covenants... He said, I made two covenants with Abraham. I promised him two lines of descendants. Spiritual descendants that are going to number the stars of heaven, which are represented by the heavens, and then physical descendants, which are uh, numbered by the sand of sea and represent the earth, a physical ground. Okay? You're there in Galatians, look at verse 25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. 
and his brother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry that thou travailest not, for the desolate have made many more children than she which hath an husband. Look at verse 28. Now we, now you got to understand this, okay? The book, when you read a verse in the Bible, we've got to understand the context. Galatians chapter number 4 and verse 28 is in the book of Galatians, alright? Which was written to the church in Galatia, which are not Jews, but Gentiles, alright? They're New Testament believers in Jesus Christ who are not Jews. They are not descendants, physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are Gentiles, just like you and I are Gentiles. And look at what Paul says. He says, now we, now Paul is a Jew. But he's saying, we with the Gentiles. He's saying, you Gentiles together with me, we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Do you see that? He just told the church in Galatia, the Gentiles, that in the same way that Isaac was a child of promise, they are a child of promise. He said, well, how is that? Well, you can think about it. God came to Abraham. And he made him a promise of things which had not been seen. And he said, Abraham, I know you don't understand it. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know there's not even any possible way that you can have a child. And you can't see it. But I'm going to promise you a son. And by faith, you're going to accept it. And what, what uh, Paul is saying is in the same way, we have been given a promise of heaven. And we've never seen it. And we can't understand it. And we cannot comprehend it. But we accept it the same way that Abraham accepted it by one word, faith. He said, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of faith, of promise. So who are the children of promise according to Galatians chapter 4 verse 28? The Galatians. The Gentiles. The New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Are the brethren. Are the, are the, are, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So the Gentile believers are the children of promise, or of faith, which are represented by Isaac. Look at verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is not. So now he says, he explained to us who the children of the promise were, which were New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, who are made children of the promise in the same way that Abraham became a child of God by faith. And then he explains to us who the children of the flesh are. He says, but as then, he that was... And you don't miss it. He said, but as then. Okay? Referring to Genesis 21. Remember when Sarah got mad and he said, cast out that bondwoman and her son? What was Ishmael doing? He was mocking. And the Bible says, but as then, when Ishmael was mocking Isaac, he said, he that was born after the flesh, which is Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, which is Isaac, he says, even so it is now. And he's letting us know who the children of the flesh are. Because all through the book of Acts, all through the New Testament, what is the one group over and over and over again who's persecuting the New Testament believer in Jesus Christ, the, the New Testament church, who's persecuting Paul and the, and the New Testament disciples. Is it the Romans? No. You say, well, yeah, it was the Romans. No, the Romans didn't persecute. You can't find, you know, you might be able to open up a history book and find that, but you can't open the King James Bible and show me where the Romans were persecuting the church of God. But you know who you can find all throughout the book of Acts? Chapter after chapter after chapter, people... Uh, 
fighting with Paul, people trying to kill Paul, people following Paul from city to city, people stoning Paul and trying to get him arrested and using the Romans to arrest Paul. You know who you find? The Jews. Persecuting the New Testament believer. And look at what he says. He says, in the same way that Ishmael persecuted Isaac, the child of the flesh, persecuted the child of the promise, he said, in the same way as that was going on in Genesis, he says, that same thing is going on now. The sons of the flesh are persecuting the sons of the promise. Because, see, the Israelites, they think they're the, the, the Jews, they think they're the sons of the promise. They're the descendants of Isaac, and they are physically. And they think that the Arabs, are the sons of Ishmael. And they're looking at it as a physical, in a physical realm, Israel belongs to us because God gave us a covenant. But God opens it up in, in the New Testament and He says, you know what? It's a bigger deal than what you're making it out to be. There's a more at stake than what you're making it out to be. Because He says, you Jews think it's about you versus the Arabs, but really it's about the saved versus the unsaved. And He said, really, Isaac represents the believer. The one who was born by faith. The one who was born by promise. And the Jews are represented by Ishmael. Because in the same way that Ishmael was born physically first, they think that they're something special because they were born physically from Isaac. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making any sense this morning. But look at verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? cast out the bondwoman and her son. A direct quote from Genesis 21. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The son of the bondwoman is physical Israel. And the Bible says, physical Israel shall not be heir with the son of the free woman, who are represented by Isaac, who are the Gentile, or not necessarily Gentile, but just the believers in Jesus Christ who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith. Look at verse 31. So then, brethren, he makes it even more clear. He says, so then, brethren, we, saying Paul and the Galatians, the New Testament believers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Does it make it, is, can it, can it get any more clear? He's saying, we as New Testament believers are not children of the bondwoman, we are children of the free. He says, we are descendants of Abraham. I'm telling you right now, and look, you may know it, you may not know it, but almost 99% of Christians are going to disagree with the statement I'm making right now. Almost 99% of Baptists are going to disagree with the statement I'm making right now. But I, you're looking at a descendant of Abraham. You say, how are you a descendant of Abraham? I'm a spiritual descendant of Abraham. I'm, I'm part of that heavenly host. I'm part of those stars in heaven that God promised him when he gave him the Abrahamic covenant. You say, I don't know about that. Because here's the thing. My whole life, I've heard, you know, Christians, fundamental Baptists, they'll stand up and say, you know, we gotta, we got, we've got to love Israel, and we've got to just stand behind Israel, and we, because, you know, we got to bless Israel, because they are God's children, they are God's chosen people, and, and they can do no wrong. It doesn't matter if they reject Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if they're the ones that crucified Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if they're the ones that crucified, you know, that, that persecuted the church and Paul, it doesn't matter if they, if they don't believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if they reject the New Testament, it doesn't matter what they do, they can do no wrong, because they're physically descendants of Abraham. And I, and I, and I, and I read the Bible and I'm thinking to myself, well where's that? Because according to the Bible, the New Testament believer is a descendant of Isaac. And they're actually the descendants of 
Ishmael. Because it's an allegory. It's a picture of things that God wants to teach us. You say, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Let's look at another passage. Go with me to Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. If you've got questions, we'll answer them here. Let me get through the note tonight. Lord willing, we'll have answered all the questions you may have. Look at Romans chapter number 9, look at verse 1. Romans chapter number 9, and look at verse 1. Romans 9, 1 says, I say the truth. Paul is speaking. Through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul has to preface what he's going to, the next verse. The statement he's going to make, he has to preface that by saying, look, I'm telling you the truth. He says, I'm not lying because the statement he's about to make is so unbelievable. He's got to to preface it by saying, I'm not lying to you. Okay? Look at verse 2. He said, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He said, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Paul just said, I wish that I was damned to hell. He said, I wish that I was not saved, that I would not be saved. He said, I wish I was accursed from Christ for my brethren. Now, what brethren is he talking about? He's talking about his spiritual brethren or his physical brethren. Look what he says. Comma, my kinsmen, which means his family, according to the flesh. So he's talking about physical Jews. The Jews he's related to. What Paul is saying is saying, he's saying, if I could get those physical Jews to quit rejecting Jesus Christ and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I would give up my own salvation. I would die and go to hell if I could make them believe. Now, isn't that amazing? Because I'll tell you right now, none of us would give up our salvation for anyone. I mean, I don't think any of us would, would allow us, you know, say, I wish I could go to hell for eternity so that, so that somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, you know, I'm not giving up my salvation for anybody because, you know what, salvation is available to everybody. So if you want to reject it, then fine, go to hell. I'm not giving, you, I'm not giving up mine, you know what I'm saying? But Paul had such a love for the Jews because if you remember, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was with them. And he had such a love. He actually, he said, look, I'm not lying. He said, I, I, I'm telling you the truth. He said, if I could go to hell so that they could be saved. He's saying, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about physical Jews. Look at verse 4. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. He's saying, they're the ones that were given the Bible. They're the ones that Moses gave the law to. They're the ones that were given uh, the priesthood, and, and, and all those different things. He said, he said those people that had been given so much. Look at verse 6. Or, I'm sorry, um, verse 5. Who are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh. You see, concerning the flesh. He's talking about them physically. Christ came. Because Jesus Christ was a Jew. I don't know if you know that. You know, if you look at the average picture of Jesus Christ, he looks like he's Leonardo DiCaprio or something. You know, he's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy. It's like, no, he was a Jew, alright? He wasn't, you know, some, uh, you know, Malibu guy or whatever. He, I hate to break it to you, he wasn't white, you know? And then you go, and then you go into, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, this is not politically correct. But then you go into, like, these, you know, I've been to people's houses where they're like, you know, it's like a black family, and then all of a sudden Jesus is black. You know, he's got like this afro or whatever. It's like, look, he wasn't black, he wasn't white, you can't just turn him into what, you know, and then you go into a Mexican house, and I'm like, he's Mexican. No, he was a 
a Jew. The Bible says that. That's, you know, his, we find his lineage. The Bible says, as concerning the flesh, you know, you don't just make him whatever you want him to be because you, you know, whatever. But he says, of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. So Christ physically was a Jew who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. For, and look what he says. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now if you remember, Isaac had a son named Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And that's where the nation of Israel gets his title from. Because Israel had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Alright? And the Bible says that not all Israel... Or they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. That word "of" means, um, you know, where you came, where where you came from, or you know, the source. And he says, not all of Israel came from Israel. Talking about the man Israel, his loins. He says, not all Israel came from Israel. Look at verse seven. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham. Notice what it's saying. It said, because they are the seed of Abraham, because they descended from Abraham's loins, are they all children? He says, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Why are they called in Isaac? Because it it doesn't matter if you were born of Abraham, because you know what? Abraham had Isaac, and Abraham had Ishmael. But he said, in Isaac will your seed be called. Why? Because in Galatians 4 it tells us, who are the descendants of Isaac? The sons of promise. The Gentiles. The Gentile believers in Jesus Christ. And not just the Gentile, but any believer in Jesus Christ. So that's why he says, you know, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Uh, look at verse 8. That is, so he goes on to explain it, they which are the children of the flesh, so he said, just because you're physically a Jew, these are not the children of God. Just being born into a family does not automatically make you the child of God. And by the way, it's the same way in Christianity. People have this idea. My dad was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. I was born into a Christian home. So now I'm a Christian. Look, just because you're born into a family, whether it's Jew or Baptist, doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you're a Christian. Salvation is a conversion. It is being born again. It is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is accepting Him. It is a choice you make. Alright? It's accepting the gift. So he says, that is... They which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. So who is counted for the seed? The children of promise. Who are the children of promise? Those who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ as we saw in Galatians. Drop down to verse 24. Even us, whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Ozi, which is Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. So in Hosea, in the Old Testament, he makes a pro- you know, he prophesies, I'm going to call people who were not called my people, I'm going to call them my people. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So he said, people that used to be called not the people of God are going to one day be called the children of God. Look at verse 27. Isaiah, which is Isaiah, also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So, though Israel is as the sand of the sea, though they all over the place, he said, only a remnant of them is actually saved. Because only a remnant of them actually believes. Most of them reject Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. 
For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed, look what it says, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness. So did the Gentiles follow right after righteousness? Were they trying to live a righteous life? No, they were not. What shall we say? That the Gentiles which followed after righteousness have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness which is of what? Faith. So how does a Gentile attain righteousness? Through faith. Is it by living a good life? No. Is it by repenting of your sins? No. Is it by taking communion? No. Is it by getting baptized? No. Is it by living, you know, coming to church? No. It's by faith. Look at verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness. Because you remember, they made up this Judaism religion which is about keeping the law and about taking the Passover and it's about doing all these actions. He said, followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Because here's the thing, anybody who tries to attain salvation by following the law will never attain salvation because none of us can follow the law. For there is none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, is what the Bible says. You cannot keep all ten commandments. People say, well, I'm going to heaven because I kept all the commandments. That's a lie. Because we've all lied. We've all done something. And, by the way, there's more commandments in the Bible than just the Ten Commandments. And we break them every day. There's commandments we don't even know of. And it's still sin. So, you can never be justified uh, by keeping the commandments. Look at verse uh, 32. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. So what was their problem? They didn't have faith in Jesus Christ. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling block, which was Jesus Christ, as it is written, Behold, I lay inside a stumbling block of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. So what was the problem of the physical Israelites uh, versus the spiritual Israelites? Is that the physical Israelites were trying to attain salvation by the law of righteousness, and they stumbled at the stumbling block, Jesus Christ. They should have had faith in Jesus Christ, but instead they stumbled at Jesus Christ, rejected the uh, you know, uh, head of the corner, and therefore condemned themselves to hell. Because nobody can be saved through works. Look at Romans chapter number 3. Look at verse 20. We're almost done. We just got a few, I just got a few more things I want to show you. Romans chapter number 3, look at verse 20. Romans chapter number 3 and verse 20. It's more of a Bible study this morning, but... Things you need to understand. Romans chapter number 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. You see that? No flesh will ever be justified by the deeds of the law. You say, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to keep the commandments so I can go to heaven. No, sir. It cannot happen. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the commandments is to show us that we're sinners. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. You see that? For there is no difference. I don't know if I'm making sense to you this morning, but I'm trying to show you from the Bible that you cannot be saved through keeping the law. No one will be saved through keeping the law. In fact, that wasn't even the point of the law. The point of the law was to show us that we were sinners. We were supposed to look at the commandments and say, Wow, I broke that one. Wow, I broke that one. Wow, I broke that one. Wow, 
need a savior. That was the point of the law. But then all these religions come along and then they take the law and then they try to tell you, keep the law so you can go to heaven. Get baptized so you can go to heaven. Keep the commandments so you can go to heaven. That's not what the point of the law was. Look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say... At this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? You see, because you talk to the Catholic who thinks they're going to go to heaven, and you ask him, how do you know? You know for sure you died today, you go to heaven. And they'll say, yes. And they'll say, how do you know that? And they'll say, because I live a good life. Because I've been catechized. Because I take communion. Because I do good things. Because I'm not a bad person. Because I was the best one in my class. Because, you know, I, I had somebody, uh, Brother Justin and I, when I was talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, uh, what was he? He was that Oats guy. A Quaker. <laughs> yeah, he was that Quaker. He was a, he's, I'm not making fun of him. He was a Quaker. That was his religion. And I said, do you know for sure you that day go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, because I look at my life compared to most other people, and I would say that I live a better life than most people. And you know what? He probably does. But you know, that type of boasting is going to send you straight to hell. Because even if you live a better life than most people, guess what? You're still a sinner. He says, where is boasting then? In verse 27. It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude. Look, he's a, he, he finishes his argument. He says, therefore. He said, based on everything I just said to you, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is there salvation through works in the Bible? No, sir, there is not. And let me tell you something. There's only two ways to believe. People say, how do you know which religion to choose out of all the thousands of religions? Well, let me just narrow it down for you. There's no such thing as thousands of religions, because there's only two ways of believing. You either believe that you're saved by your own works, by the way you live your life, or you believe you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how could it be? You can't categorize all religions. Do it. Go talk to the Catholic. How do I get to heaven? you got to get baptized, you got to take communion, you got to, you know... Uh, keep the commandments. You gotta live a good life. You gotta confess your sins. Go talk to the Jehovah's Witness. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. Go talk to the Mormons. You gotta, you know, they they got a list of things you gotta do. Uh, some churches will tell you you gotta get baptized. Some churches will tell you you gotta repent of your sin. Some, you know, go talk to the Muslim. You gotta pray certain times of the day, and you gotta do certain things. You gotta wear certain clothes. All religions are the same. It's all works. And then there's those who say no, it's faith. It's all either. The son of the bondwoman who's trying to keep you in bondage under the law. That's what that picture was. She was a servant to Sarah. She was under the law of bondage. And if you're either a son of the bondwoman or you're a son of the promise. Of faith. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Look at verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Let me show you one more verse. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 8. Look at verse 11. 
Matthew chapter number 8. Look at verse 11. Matthew chapter number 8 and verse 11. The Bible says, And I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, by the way, to the Jews. He says, And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west. What's he saying? He said, They're going to come from all over the world. And shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Did, did Jesus believe that only Jews, that was the only people that were going to go to heaven? He said, Look, they're going to come from all over the world. And they're going to sit down with Isaac, Jacob, uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you've got to ask this question. Go with me to 1 John, chapter number 2. 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament. If you find your, you know, find Revelation, last book of the New Testament, right before Revelation is the book of Jude, and then right before Jude is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And go with me to 1 John, chapter number 2. Having said all that, we've got to answer this question. How should we, as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, feel and believe and act towards the Jews? Okay? Because for whatever reason, Christians in the United States of America have some sort of a love affair with the Jews. You know, they just, you know, are we, are we going to just have some, you know, rally for Israel and I'm going to put on my, you know, Israeli flag, you know, code and tie and we're going to just go rally for Israel and, hey, pray, you know, now look, let, let, me, let me put the, let, let me say this. We're talking about the religion, okay? We're not talking about the, peop, the people that's Jews. Obviously, the Bible says he has made all the nation of one blood. We all came from Adam. We love everybody. We, we're not talking about being anti-Semitic or being against them as people. But we're talking about their religion. Because for whatever reason, a fundamental Baptist preacher will stand up and scream and yell about a Catholic who believes in work salvation, a Mormon who believes in work salvation, a Lutheran who believes in work salvation, a Jehovah's Witness who believes in work salvation. But then they'll say, we got to love Israel. we got to love the Jews. And they'll even call themselves this, Judeo-Christians. And I, and I ask you a question. What does God say we ought to believe about their religion? Are you there in 1 John chapter number 2? Look at verse 22. 1 John chapter number 2 and verse 22. The Bible says, Who is a liar? But he that denied that Jesus is the Christ. I've proven this to you before. I don't have time to show it to you. The word Christ means Messiah. He says, Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Messiah. But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denied the Father and the Son. Do the, the Jews of today who believe in Judaism, do they accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah? No, they do not. They reject Him as the Messiah. They're still waiting for a Messiah. And by the way, they're going to get their Messiah. It's called the Antichrist. It's called the Beast of Revelation. But they reject Jesus Christ. So what does 1 John 2, 22 teach us about that religion? Is that our friend? Should we love that religion? No. It says, who is a liar? But he that denied that Jesus is the Christ. He says, he is Antichrist that denied the Father and the Son. You're there in 1 John. Go with me to Revelation, chapter number 2. Look at Revelation, chapter number 2. So are we going to hold a rally for Israel? And, and, and let's pray for Israel. And God bless Israel. And, and you know, bless them so God will bless us. No, sir. You think God is impressed with these unbelieving Jews that reject Jesus Christ? No, He's not. They're a false religion like every other false religion. And we ought to love them like we love everybody else. Look, I love the Catholics. I've got to get as many Catholics as I can say. But I hate Catholicism because it's damning people to hell. And I love Jews. 
And if I'm going to try to get as many Jews as I can say, but I hate Judaism because they reject Jesus Christ. It's a works religion and it's wrong. And for whatever reason, Christians love Judaism when, when they hate our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter number 2. Look at verse 9. This is what Jesus said. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, these words are in red because Jesus said these words. He said, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And he says, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. So look, even Jesus Christ said, there are people out there who say they are Jews, but they're not Jews. Because who are the true Jews? Believers in Jesus Christ. We're the descendants, we're the true descendants of Abraham. He says, which say they are Jews and are not, but, look what he says, are the synagogue of Satan. You think, was Jesus speaking positive or negative about this religion that has a synagogue? And what is the only religion in the world that has a synagogue? The Jews. And he called them the synagogue of Satan. He said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We should take a stand against Judaism as a false religion, like any other false religion. And we should love the Jew as a person like any other unsaved person. And we should try to get them saved. Now, in conclusion, let me say, let me, let me, let me show you Two verses and we'll be done. Go to Galatians chapter number 3 and keep your finger there. And then go with me to Genesis chapter number 12. We're going to look at Genesis 12 first. But then Galatians 3, Genesis 12. Find those two. Put a finger in one and a finger in the other. Hand in one, hand in foot, whatever you want to use. Just get there. Galatians chapter number 3. And Genesis chapter number 12. Galatians chapter number 3 and Genesis chapter number 12. Let me, let me show you something. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I came to church on a Sunday morning to be blessed. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of a blessing right now. Are you there in Genesis chapter number 12? Yes. Look at verse 2. This is where we find the famous Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham. And look what he says. He says, I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, you know, Americans all throughout history have, have claimed this. and said, if we bless Israel, God will bless us. And people will say, the reason that God has blessed America and made us such a great nation is because we've always been allied with Israel. Well, I think that's a lie. And I'll, and I'll explain to you why. But let's read it again. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing that God gave Abraham. Now go with me to Galatians chapter number 3. Look at verse 14. We'll look at one more verse and we're done. The blessing that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12. To Abraham and to all of his descendants. Look at Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 14. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 14. Ah, uh, yeah, sorry, Galatians. I'm looking down at my notes. They both start with G. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse 14. I was testing you. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse 14. The Bible says that the blessing of Abraham, we just read it, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter number 12, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the what? Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ. 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You say, who does the Abrahamic covenant apply to? You know, I've heard people say this. As a a, uh, foreign policy, the United States of America should have a foreign policy where we're constantly blessing Israel so that God will bless them. You know what? God has blessed America. You know why? Because like no other nation in the world, born again, baptized people have been going around this country, knocking doors, getting people saved, preaching the King James Bible, sending missionaries by the thousands into the world. That's why God blessed America. God has blessed America. Not because we've been allied with Israel. God has all blessed us. He's blessed us because we blessed the true descendants of Abraham. Which are the same. Because the Bible says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. You say, I like the blessing of God. You know what? You know how you can bless God? Bless a Christian. Pray for a Christian. Love a Christian. Don't make a fellow brother an enemy. And God says, I will bless them that bless you. It falls on you. Because I just, I just ranted for the last hour and proved to you from the Bible that we are the descendants of Isaac, not these unsaved Israelites, not these unsaved Jews who reject Jesus Christ. It's you and I, my friend. We have been given the blessings of God. We have been given the Abrahamic covenant because Abraham is my father, you know, in the lineage there. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I am a descendant of Isaac, the son of promise. And the Bible says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. It's been given to us, my friend. And we ought to love the Jews and try to get them saved, but not have this partnership with them like there's something special because they physically came from, uh, from Abraham. Because it's, it's never about the physical, it's always about faith. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear me, Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I, 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 I pray that... Uh, Everybody here this morning would have grasped the sermon and understood what we're trying to say. And we're not trying to be anti-anybody when we preach a sermon like this. We're just trying to show people that we've got to be true to the Bible and against false religions. And Lord, thank you for loving us. The Bible says you've made us the apple of your eye. And Lord, we love you in your precious name I pray. Amen.